This episode of The Startup Life is tucked in nice and tight by Philip Stein and the Philip Stein Sleep Bracelet. Startup Nation, getting quality sleep is super important, especially for those of us as entrepreneurs. I know for me, if I don't get enough quality sleep, not only do I not perform well while working in my business or exercising, but also it really affects my mental health and that doubt starts to creep in. And that's the last thing we want as entrepreneurs. Also, with everything going on, good quality sleep is important to repair the body and support a good immune system. And that is why Startup Nation, I wear the Philip Stein Sleep Bracelet. The Philip Stein Sleep Bracelet uses natural frequency technology to reinforce our biomagnetic field to improve deep sleep, length of sleep, and overall sleep quality. This helps produce a healthier heart, regulate weight control, and helps strengthen the immune system, which helps destroy bacteria and viruses. Right now, when you go to philipstein.com, use code SLEEPEZ, and you will get 10% off the entire store. That's promo code SLEEP, capital E, capital Z. So if you are ready to be more productive in leading your business, go with the Philip Stein Sleep Bracelet, proven to be natural and safe to give you a better, deeper sleep. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, with everything going on, this, this land and this new era of uncertainty, you know, companies are shedding employees left and right. And if you're not performing uh, 10 times the average level, uh, your job just may be at risk. But we have the perfect guest to kind of help you out with that and kind of help you navigate those waters. He is the co-founder of 10X Management, where they represent some of the world's most sought after independent developers, designers, and other technology professionals. Their client base ranges from startups to Fortune 500 companies. He has appeared on CNBC, the BBC, Bloomberg TV, and has spoken at South by Southwest. And along with Rishon Bloomberg, he is the co-author of Game Changer, How to Be 10X in the talent economy. He is my really good friend, Michael Solomon. Big Mike, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, man. So look, glad to be here. No worries. No worries. Look, man, we can definitely use your help, man. Are you ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation? I'm going to do everything I got. It's all there for the picking. I hear that. I hear that. So, you know what? First things first, man, let's get this party started off right. If you would, just kind of share your origin story and your background a little bit before we move forward. Sure. I'm happy to do that. It's actually, it, it, it wasn't that interesting until a few years ago. It got a lot more interesting, but I'm going to give you the the two or three minute version. I'll, I'll include a little, a little triumph and a little tragedy along the way to try and make it interesting. Okay. So um, back when I was uh, in college, um, I, I dated a wonderful young woman um, who, whose mother was Bruce Springsteen's co-manager and her, her stepfather was his, his biographer okay. and this was a big opportunity sort of pointing me in the direction of the music industry because I was offered a job to go on tour um, with Springsteen when I was in my uh, early 20s which oh, was wow. pretty pretty amazing right um, so that was a lot of triumph and a great way to start my career and, and I'm going to come back to that in a second the tragedy part is that she was diagnosed with a rare tumor a sarcoma mm. and um after a, a, a long battle um and our being together for years she she ultimately um died from the disease and oh, that was that. very informative uh, thank you uh, it was very informative for my life being 23 years old and having 
um, that kind of uh, understanding about my own mortality and that life is, you know, short and not to be taken for granted. And I think that set me on, on a little bit of a path um, that sort of informed all of my decision making. Right. So lo- long story short, Toward the Cruise worked at Sony Music after that and doing international marketing. Um, when I was 25, um, Roshan and I uh, decided we were going to go out on our own and start Brickwall Management, which is an artist management company in the music industry. Right. Um, and we were doing this largely having observed Springsteen and his management, which is John Landau and Barbara Carr. And the really amazing thing was, you know, I, I got this up close personal view of all of this, but this was, this would, no one explained to me, like, this is not the normal relationship. This is the 10 X relationship. This is perfection. These people are all from Bruce to the managers are all like, you know, top of their field, top of their game. So when we went out, when we set out to emulate that, we weren't quite clear that what we were looking at was like, you know, uh, it's like, I want to be Steve Jobs. We didn't, we didn't get that. Gotcha. Um, and you know, the good news is we didn't know that, so it didn't get in the way of starting it. So 25, we, we left our jobs, um, and went and started this business and that business is still operating 25 years later. We've managed people like John Mayer and Citizen Cope and Mark Broussard and Cupid and, uh, That's uh dope, man. yeah, Vanessa <laughs> Carlton. Um, so it's, it's, it's awesome, but in, as, as everybody knows, in the early 2000s, the music industry got really badly disrupted by technology. All of a sudden, there were these files that you could download. You didn't have to necessarily pay for them, mm, uh, right. and, and CD sales slumped really badly, and the, the, the industry was in a free fall. And we sort of looked out at the landscape and said, whoa, what are we going to do here? We need some kind of pivot or something else, and that was when after, uh, you know, throwing out a lot of bad ideas that Rashawn is very good at saying, you know, you're really creative and you have a lot of ideas, but they all suck um, <laughs> or aren't viable or whatever. Gotcha. Um, he, he, I finally came and said, what if we, what if we manage tech professionals? These are the, you know, these are the, the new rock stars. So we said, let's try it. We, we did an experiment and we basically set up a talent agency for very high level freelance um, professional technologists. So these are data scientists, and and programmers and uh, designers and, and user experience and project managers and it worked. Um, first right. of all, the media loved the story because the media wrote you know so much about how the, the rock star managers are managing the new rock stars, um, which was lovely and you know sort of the best publicity campaign I've ever been involved with. Considering we had no publicists and it wasn't really a campaign, particularly ironic. Right, um, and that's. You know, and that's that was the launch about eight years ago of 10x management. Um, and as would have it, you know, our our entrepreneurial spirit is there deep. And um, in the last year, we started another entity, another company called 10x Ascend, um, which was an out, outgrowth of 10x management. We realized along the way that the same reason that some of these technology folks want us to help with their freelance careers, they also need help in working out their compensation packages for full-time jobs. And we don't find them their jobs. They come to us and get guidance on how to negotiate and structure their deals. So that's, that's sort of the newest business. And then the last part, which I won't get too far into here, is I've been involved in, in co-founding three different nonprofits. One okay. is named after Kristen, who died um, in my early 20s, and we raised about 20 to $25 million that's gone towards sarcoma research. 
um, a, a few years after that, gotcha. 20 years ago this past year, we launched Musicians on Call, which is a, a nonprofit that brings musicians into healthcare care facilities and the largest organization that does that in the country and possibly the world. Um, and then most recently, something called the We Are All Music Foundation, which is modeled after Robin Hood, which is a financial industry organization that, that raises money and distributes it to best in class nonprofits. So, um, that was a bit of a long answer, but I think I kept it to three or four minutes. I promise it was a lot of ground to cover. No, no, no. I loved it. You know, there's a lot to, you know, to dive in there. And I actually wanted to ask you uh, something because, you know, you, you talked about the disruption of the music industry and stuff like that. We all know about like, you know, uh, the Napsters and the LimeWires and the, uh, and the you know, uh, iTunes and stuff like that. What are some of those other differences like between the music industry, you know, between, you know, like the 90s and stuff like that? And even now, like what are some of those big changes that you kind of either didn't see coming or just like surprised that that happened or kind of talk about that a little bit? As it relates to the music industry specifically? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that I, th- I think that what we saw was because the file sizes were smaller than video, mm. music was the first place. Um, and it was easy, you know, that was one of the first formats that came around that was very easy to do this with. Gotcha. But really what it was, was the canary in the coal mine for the, the book publishing industry, the media industry, mm. certainly television and film. And it was really interesting because if you go back, there were people who worked in digital at the record labels who were screaming in the halls being like, the sky is falling. Right. And none of the executives were willing to listen. I mean, these are early days. Of, mm-hmm. of what was going on and the, and the digital departments I think many of the leaders of those companies knew they needed them but didn't really know what they did or didn't really care that much and all of a sudden at a certain point when it started impacting sales even a little bit and the media was growing and growing and there was Napster and, and all of that stuff companies started to realize what was going to happen then really what you saw as the, as the downturn took full hold you saw these companies having to lay off especially record companies and having to lay off massive amounts of people. So right. ultimately to bring this back around to what we do now in the book, you, they had to do more with less. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, what, what this book is about is like, how do you, as we shrink and jobs are going away, and right. there are real, really significant economic forces um, and technological forces that are going to just eliminate jobs because you don't need as many people to do what you, what you used to. And automation and AI makes it a lot easier to, to have machines do what humans used to do. So you're going to be doing more with less. And the, the, the sum total of, of what we get into is when you have fewer people, you need better people. And we've reached a point where the people who are great can have such an impact because of technology. Um, when we talk about 10Xers, which is the, the thesis of the book, these are people who you know, often deliver 10 times the value of one of their peers. And, you know, you think that this is a crazy concept, but then you look at, you know, companies and individuals who built massive, like massive, like fortune, you know, five companies, fortune 10 companies right, in a dorm room, mm-hmm. you know, because they were, they had the idea and they had the chops and they had the skills. And what we did is we sort of looked at like, what do these people have in common who are really great? And what do they care about so that we could, we could both help the, the readers of the book and the people we deal with understand like, what do you need to do to make your company uh, a place where these 10 Xers want to be? And also that's the first half of the book. And the second half of the book is 
if you're not already a 10x or what can you do to make yourself more 10x because they go hand in hand and we no one was born a 10xer like right. they all they all did work to become that so we're we're figuring that out for sure for sure thank you for sharing that. and that's what i wanted to ask you about the music industry to kind of talk about disruption that's something we talk about here on the startup life uh quite often about how sometimes there are people you know if you're if you're paying attention to what's going on around you you kind of can't predict the future a little bit but maybe that's just me i don't know and that book startup nation that michael is referring to is game changer how to be 10x in the talent economy and that book is out today startup nation we're gonna uh, make sure you um uh, click the link in the show notes uh, to add that to your entrepreneurial toolkit. And so and, and in reference to the book, you know, let's kind of dive into it a little bit, because, you know, you, you talk about, you know, the talent economy. What is something uh, that that's very common in this this new 10x uh, talent of tech workers and stuff like that? What is that one common thread that they all share that employers need to uh, be mindful of? Great question. So the people who are who you want to have in your company, the things that they have in common, the things that we've seen, the things that our client base, the technologists we work with really have um, are a few qualities that I just love. And these are people I love being around in general. Right. They like problem solving. The harder mm-hmm. the problem, the, the more difficult, the more challenging. They, they're not the ones who go in the other direction when they think something's too hard. They just get excited. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is they are lifelong learners. And that's part of the reason they're like the challenges. Right. These are people who teach themselves everything. And actually, one of the things that we occasionally have to help them understand is just because you can do it and you're capable of learning it doesn't mean you should do it. So, you know, just as an example, these are people who make, you know, anywhere between, uh, I don't know, 150 and $1,000 an hour. Um, And sometimes you have to remind them, like, I know you can clean your house, but you could pay somebody to do that. Like you're, when you're taking away time from work, it's costing you a lot more than, than it would to, to pay somebody to do that. And that's how our economy grows. Right. Um, and they, they get it. Like it's, it's not like this is lost on them, but, but because they're so good at learning, you know, when there's a contract to do, they're like, let me go do a little research on contract law and see if I can figure this out. Like, no, pay a lawyer to do that. You don't need to do it all yourself. Mm -hmm. But, but as a quality, the fact that these people love learning and are always looking for it is great. And part of what goes along with that and part of the best way to learn is the, these are people who are receptive to feedback and even the best of the best will even solicit it if it's not coming. Mm, so okay. one of the things to recognize is we all have blind spots, right? There's right. things that we're not good at or there's things we're not even aware that we need to improve and we can't see them. Just It's a limitation of being human. But the person sitting next to us or above us on the org chart or somebody who's not in our organization but knows us and cares about us can be a a great roadmap to say, hey, did you know that you do this? And it doesn't always work out so well. So, you know, I'll just give you a very tiny example. But we're living in a moment of of great social change and um, especially as it relates to um, BLM and it it relates to Me Too. And I don't want to, I don't want to boil those things down to acronyms and and hashtags. I got you. But I I, want to be very appropriate and sensitive to these things. And one of the things I do is I advise a startup and um, I have a great relationship with both founders. Um, One of, one of the two founders is a woman and I've sent emails to them saying, Hey guys, Mm. Um, and she's a strong feminist 
And she, she, she also knows that I'm open to and love feedback. And she told me, like, I'd really prefer that you don't use a masculine term. And she said, I know you don't mean anything by it. It's not, it's not like I'm offended, but that's just a change that I would love to see. And I was grateful for the feedback and have tried to change it. And I already know that once since being told about it, I've done it again. And she was kind enough to tell me again. And I thanked her. And it's strengthening our relationship because she knows that I'm a person who's open and willing to hear it. And then I'm actually eager and grateful for hearing it. And she doesn't, you know, she's not feeling, I don't think that there's a moment of feeling weird about telling me. And I I said the second time she told me, if if I do this again, and I really hope not to, please don't stop telling. Like, I don't want you to be uncomfortable. Right. Because I, because I'm, I'm not able to change that quickly. Right. Um, And those, that kind of feedback is a very important part of what what 10Xers want. Um, and the other thing that they really hate, and this is, this is really important mm-hmm. for companies, especially larger companies, is bureaucracy. Because mm-hmm. in bureaucracy, what you often find as an answer to why can't we do something is, well, that's not how we've done it, or that's not how we right. do it, or we've never done it that way. That is like the, like for a 10Xer, they don't, ever want to hear that. No, they don't. There's a good reason why we've never done it that way. That's fine. But like, just because we haven't done, you know, that's sort of like anti-innovation. And then, uh, you know, I think, I think that covers a lot of the biggest traits, Um, but they don't, they don't suffer fools and they have options. They have choices. They can go where they want. These are people who are, who are constantly, I mean, the average 10 Xer that I'm talking about Mm -hmm. is getting 20 recruiter emails or LinkedIn a week, looking, offering them jobs. I mean, these are, these are people who, you know, know what they're doing. They're smart. They know how to communicate. Real 10 Xers have great EQ, not just IQ, because you could be the greatest coder in the world, but if you can't play nice with the team, it's not going to be productive. For sure. Um, And the last thing I'll throw into the, to this answer, which is a little longer than you may be hoping for. Go for it. Is, is um, the ability to work when and where and how that is most efficient and effective for them. That's a big one, especially so now. That's a big for many, one. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. For, for many programmers, they get into something called a flow state. And this is true for writers, for artists, for, for almost any profession mm-hmm. where you get into, after a certain period of time of focused concentration, no interruptions, you get into the zone where you're now working faster than you usually do, better, you're in there. And the last thing you want is getting to that state where you're working two, three, five times as fast as you usually do. And either you have to stop because you have to go to a meeting now or somebody taps you on the shoulder to ask you a question or, you know, and and creating the ability for these people to get to that optimal state is in your interest as an employer, as, a, as a team leader. So that's, I, I think that's a good answer on sort of what separates them. No, absolutely. And I'm glad you sent that last part, because I imagine with everybody being Zoom all Americans now, you know, a lot of us are kind of getting comfortable with the with the notion of working distancing, virtual distancing uh, and working and stuff like that. You know, I had a friend who he he works at Twitter and he was talking about like how I love how I can just like, you know, uh, just kind of sit like he, there's this mall uh, near our house and it's like this courtyard and stuff like that. He can just sit out in the sun and just work like he loves that. Right. And, and I, I believe yep. that, you know, a lot of 10 Xers are, are probably like, you know what? 
I'm more productive. I have more joy in my work. I'm easier to kind of talk to now because I'm not all cooped up in some office building and stuff like that. So I'm glad you said that because that's big. Oh, yeah. And it it really, I mean, it goes so deep. Some of it is, some of these people are very nocturnal and they, they, they do better work from 6 p.m. till, you know, 5 a.m. Yep. And then sleep till noon. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a lot of companies are like, I want to know that you're working during working hours. And for certain jobs, that's needed. It's not right. like I'm saying the whole company should work work that time of day. Of course. But many people who are working on a project and, and individual contributors, doesn't matter what, what hours of the day they do their work. Yes, they need to be at the stand-up meeting at, you know, 5 o'clock. But, but it doesn't, it doesn't, matter what hours they do it and we, we're constantly talking to companies who say well i know you, and, and this is of course before the pandemic but like i know you have people who can work remotely but i really want somebody in my office and mm-hmm. and we wh- what we say back to that is we're happy to do that we will provide somebody on site if we can but what you've get now done is you said we have to give you the best person that we have who's in you know a 50 mile radius of where you are when you when you give us a, you know, a, a requirement that's like, it doesn't matter where they are, we can give you the best person we have anywhere who's, who's going to be best suited for the job, regardless of their geography. And it's, don't you want the best person for the job, not just the best person near St. Louis or near where, you know, Memphis. Right. So, um, uh, it's, it's a really interesting thing. And, you know, the pandemic really helped accelerate people understanding this. And we'll see what the fallout is from this. We'll see how many companies are like, this was great, productivity went up, and how many other companies um, say, this was kind of terrifying, and I don't know what work got done, and I don't know really what happened, and and try and you know, ver- reverse course. And I'm also really interested to know, when that starts to shake out, what percentage of those leaders are what ages, because I have a feeling there'll be a big generational divide in how people perceive what happened. For sure. And I imagine that like those those 10 X talents will uh, even if it for some reason for that particular company culture and that particular organization uh, that, you know, doesn't work. I imagine that those 10 Xers will at least appreciate trying it that way. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I just imagine that. Uh, that just just best for all for sure. I want to ask you this really quickly because we see a lot of articles, uh, you know, out there in the in the news affair and stuff like that, where they say twenty years, thirty years ago, when you looked at a resume, uh, and you'll see like you know I was fi- I was here fifteen years, I was here twenty years, and now you look at resumes like I was only here for two years, and I was here for uh, uh three years and stuff like that, and that's actually. Uh, based on some of these articles that we're reading, that's not really a detriment like it used to be 20, 30 years ago. Are you finding that as well with 10X uh, talent? Yes. Okay. Um, part of the part of the cultural shift, and it's also a generational thing, and I'm going to come back to that in a second, sure. is people move, people move around a lot more. Companies right. aren't loyal to individuals. Individuals aren't loyal to companies. I'm not sure if this is a good or a bad thing. I, I, I need to give it some more thought. It sort of doesn't matter. It's just, it just is. Sure. Um, but, but a big part of that is, and this, this really gets to the core of the book, is back in the day, that commitment was a little bit unconditional. So the company was going to keep you employed, and you were going to do what your boss said. Your boss right. said, I need that at 3.30 on my desk. You were going to do that. There was no consideration for, oh, well, I had a kid who's got a soccer game today. Like, didn't matter. Like, you didn't get, they weren't asking. They were, they were telling. And that was the contract. I don't mean a, a physical document, but that was sort of the, 
the, the agreement between employees and employers. What happened, and I think it started with 10Xers because they were in a great position, but it really is also true for millennial and Gen Z, is they grew up with sort of a different understanding. Their commitment to anything is much more fleeting. So whereas we had, oh, I don't know how many years, whereas I had to decide, do I want to plunk down $20 on this album, on the CD, right. um, and commit to this and I'll own it forever, they plunk down you know, a fraction of that and they have access to all the music in the world. They don't own it, but they don't need to own it. They don't care. Right. And that's true with Airbnb and it's true with Uber and it's true like everything that home ownership numbers are down for the, these generations. Their, their commitment and their need to be locked into something is the opposite of what it once was. And mm-hmm. I think this goes back to social media and sort of the, the, the news cycle and, and the speed at which, which things are coming to them. It's just a different level of commitment to anything. And that played out in the, in the workplace really significantly. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. Do a quick reset here. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Michael Solomon, the co-author of Game Changer, How to Be 10X in the Talent Economy. Once again, that book is out uh, today. You can, If you're listening to the replay on the podcast, the link is there in the show notes for easy access. Michael, really quickly, man, because with all this great talent out here, you know, I imagine that companies are doing very uh, unique and, and being creative about how they attract this talent. What are some of those cool and unique things you're seeing out there uh, that companies are doing to kind of uh, attract the talent that they're looking for? I'm so glad you asked that question. Sadly, I don't see a lot of companies doing cool and unique things. Oh, it wow. happens. Okay. And certainly in, in startup land, you can find articles of like crazy offers that were made to mm-hmm. people. But once you get out of like really early stage startups, one of the frustrations that we've observed in helping people negotiate offers is companies are still doing this as though people didn't have customized lives. So as Mm, we were just discussing, they've got a customized playlist. They've got a recommendation engine from Amazon telling them what they want to buy next. They've got Netflix feeding them what they want to watch next. Like everything is customized to the individual. It's, what happens with job so offers? True. That's so true. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut job, you off. I was, job I was offers, in the amen corner there just now. Go ahead. No, I'm it's sorry. all right. <laughs> job offers don't get customized at all. They usually ask one question before you get a job offer. Typically, right. I mean, it used to be what, what, what are you currently making? In many cases, that's not legal anymore. So they ask you, what are your salary requirements? Mm. Some companies are a little bit more innovative. The best I've ever seen anybody do with a job offer was they, they made, they made two offers for the same person for the same job. One was more cash and less equity, and the other was, was the inverse. And that was innovative, but that, as far as I'm concerned, that's just scratching the surface. We created this tool um, as part of 10X Ascend that we use with our clients. And in this case, the clients are the people who are being offered a job um, that helps them think about what's most important to me in a job and a compensation package. Mm. So we have 24 different attributes and they get a hundred points to spread them out around them. The first thing that happens is they now know for the first time, wow, I never really thought about how important continuing education or personal and professional development is to me or is not to me. I don't know what my company, the new company is going to do. Do they give me a budget? Do they care about this? Oh, vacation. Vacation seems like a pretty simple, simple area, right? But, I don't know what their vacation policy is. I know that they're offering me three weeks, but I don't know if it rolls over or if it expires. I don't know if I'll even be given permission to take it. Oh, they have an unlimited vacation policy? That's awesome. Then you find out like the CEO hasn't taken vacation in five years. 
and it's frowned on to take vacation, it's not such an awesome policy. So the, the whole idea is like you want to think through all of these areas. And then in the book, we actually get into a very careful way at the right moment with the right framing to present to a potential employer what's most important to you in an offer. And everybody, when we talk about this, thinks this is about bending the company over and forcing them to give you a whole lot of additional money. And it's not always like that. Being able to work from home for on Fridays, going back six months, right. some people would take less money for that flexibility. You know, there, right. there were a lot of things that were not about more money, that were about lifestyle issues that we saw over and over again, and companies weren't asking the question. So I think that the most important thing in terms of getting these people in the door is understanding who they are and what they care about and making an offer that, 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 that's, in, you know, sort of respecting that, right. including what are their values and do they line up with your company? And is it a good fit from a culture standpoint? Because if the person is a totally mission-driven person and you're making widgets and they want to change the world, that's probably not a good fit. And even if you hire them, you're not going to retain them very long. Right. Right. Now, that, that that's a big one because and you're so right because we see far too often where, you know, uh, companies kind of get so big or maybe not necessarily just big, but it's like, oh, just offer money. They'll be fine. Like, you know, like I, I want to. Are you changing the world or do you have a social aspect uh, you know, to your uh, organization. And we're seeing a lot of, you know, uh, that talent really kind of ask those questions. So I'm glad you said that. I, I'm glad. I'm so glad to get to talk about these things because companies are sadly, they're getting in their own way left and right when, right. when it comes to this and they're, and they're not aware of it. And the things they, they could do and need to do to change this would be really significant. And just the fact, like, here's a perfect example. Sure. Some companies hiring a director of engineering. They've got a 27-year-old candidate who's single, and maybe they just got their MBA, so they're really just out of school in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And then they got a 33-year-old candidate who's got a spouse or a partner and three kids. Do you think that they, and for the same job, and they're going to hire both of them, do you think they're making them different offers to, to each of them? They're not. Right. I mean, they might, they might have a slightly different salary number because somebody had more experience than the other person, but they're not, they're not thinking about like, wow. The, the younger person might be interested in the fact that we have ping pong tables and gyms and do dry cleaning on campus, but they're probably not saying, wow, the, the person who's in their thirties with children doesn't want to stay, stay extra hours on the campus. They want more flexibility so they can do with their family. Right. The, that's the missed opportunity that we're seeing all the time. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life. This fresh coat of the startup life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexil series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. 
and after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top-notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush, which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, fill your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me. Your time will thank you. This episode is sponsored by Swanson Health. Startup Nation, Swanson Health has been producing quality vitamins and supplements, foods, healthy home, and self-care products for over 50 years, since 1969, from the heart of America. Swanson Health carries over 20,000 wellness products at a great value. Pick up all of your favorite health products, plus discover new ones for your wellness routine, all while leaving money in your pocket. If you want to try any of Swanson Health's great products for yourself, use code STARTUP20 for 20% off at swanson.com. We have a link there in the show notes if you listen to the replay. This episode of The Startup Life is powered by Colony Spark. Startup Nation, with our economy in flux, there is a lot of mixed messaging out there. If there was ever a time to take control of the narrative and let your customers know that you're here to serve them, it's now. And that's why you have a friend in Colony Spark. Colony Spark is an omni-channel marketing agency that believes in the power of community to ignite your business. They have helped companies across many industries with lead generation, revenue growth, and more to put them on the path to success. My guy Bill Murphy and his team are very good at what they do. How do I know this? Because not many SEO companies have the stamp of approval of being partnered with Google. Yes, that Google. So I want you to go to www.colonyspark.com forward slash startup to schedule a meeting today. In that meeting, you will review your current marketing activity, receive actionable advice on how to pivot and grow, and ask any marketing questions you may have on navigating over the next few months. Look, Startup Nation, I know things may seem uncertain right now, but if you are looking for a business partner that can help light the way, go with Colony Spark, where they firmly believe in business helping business. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Let me ask you this. If I'm, you know, like especially given this this new normal in a in a, in a pandemic, mind you, uh, you know, and I'm looking for uh, a new job and I want to put myself out there to kind of climb that corporate ladder. What are some of those things I need to leverage in my resume? What do I need to like have on my resume, not have on my resume? I, I guess I'm. Uh, how do I make myself look more attractive to where I can have that, use that leverage to get ultimately the job experience that I want is what I'm asking. So there's a few things that I would say on this, starting with some people want resumes, some people want LinkedIn. This is, this, this, this getting ready for this process is one of the most important things you're going to do. Like when you think about how much time people spend researching a tennis racket or a pair of shoes, they're going to, they're going to buy like they, they can go pretty deep in the rabbit hole looking at reviews or a TV or whatever. Like that's a small decision compared to what your job is. So right. put in the time and, and do it in both places. The second thing I would say is get very focused on what you've done. Your resume is going to show where you did it, but I don't, I'm not so interested in I was part of a team and blah, blah, blah. I want to know like 
I did, I, I worked on this and the results of this were X, Y, or Z. I want to, I want to see data. The other thing that I think, and this is a little bit more in the interview process is I want to see somebody who's got some EQ. So one of the things that we look for when we interview is I want to hear you tell me about a time that you screwed up and I want to know that you're not, you're not giving me the story of your screwing, screwing up and telling me how it was really other people's fault. I want to just hear that you screwed up, you you acknowledge it, you learn from it, you corrected it, and you're not going to make that mistake again, and you have the humility to take responsibility. Because one of the things that we, we talk a lot about for companies and individuals is something called we, that we call the sabotage impulse. These yeah. are, people who have this are the ones who are always defensive. They don't want feedback. And if you give them feedback, they're going to say, but that wasn't my, my doing or that was somebody else's fault. And they're, and they're blame throwers. They, they're, they're constantly like ducking and covering. And what that does to a team is everybody around them is always watching their back because they don't know when something's going to come flying their way that they had nothing to do with. Right. So w- one of the things companies need to learn to do is get really good at, at screening that out. And one of the things candidates need to do when looking for a job is showing that they have humility, they have interest in growth, they want to keep learning. You know, you see, you see, I, you know, in, in looking at resumes for, you know, our world, you see people who have like huge expertise with languages that sort of were 20 years ago and they haven't learned anything new. And then most of the people that we work with, when I look at them, they're like, yes, they know those languages from 20 years ago. But they've also learned every new software engineering, not every new, but many new software engineering languages each year. And these are people who call me or email me regularly and say, what's the newest thing? What are you seeing a lot of requests for? I want to learn something new. So showing that you have a desire to continue to grow and you want to grow with the company and you want to care about the values and you want to make sure it's a good fit, I think are really strong steps to to show a company that you're you're a better candidate than the person next to you for sure for sure thank you for sharing all of that for sure i want to kind of shift gears a little bit because we talked about at the top of the show that uh you and your co-founder rashawn are founders of uh, 10x management where uh, you represent some of the world's most sought after uh independent developers and designers and technology uh professionals what are some of those expertise that tech town tech companies are looking for these days? What are some of those top expertise that tech companies are looking for these days, in your opinion? I mean, I think that that's always a moving target. What we're seeing a lot of right now is React Native, which is uh, which allows you to develop both iOS and Android on the same platform um, and saves you sort of having to do two and maintain two. Um, We're definitely seeing a lot of that. Um, We continue to see a lot of Python. um, And we're hearing a lot about Flutter, which is which is like React Native, um, but is a language that's um, newer, and we have people who are very bullish and enthusiastic about it. But like I said, that's that's like if if you ask me, like, is that the hot thing? It's not the hot thing yet, but I have a feeling that's about to be the next hot. For sure, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. Well, and, and you, you talked about this earlier. You know, given our you know social uh, unrest with you know uh, BLM and, and Me Too and stuff like that, and when we talk about tech, we hear quite often about how uh, there's not many people the, the diver- diversity issue in tech. There's not many people of color. There's not many women and stuff like that. Are you seeing like a ramp up 
in uh and and big tech companies looking for uh, uh diverse candidates uh or is it kind of the same what are you seeing out there i mean the big tech companies are putting huge efforts in trying to address this problem i mean there's no question they all they all none of them like the optics i think some of them and certainly we're, we're talking about you know, companies are made up of people. I think some people are much more clear than others right. about the value of diversity as opposed to checking the box. Sure. Um, the, the funny story that we share about the value of diversity, which is not, you know, it's, it's a commonly known case study or, or example is right. um, when, when, when Chevrolet was naming the Chevy Nova, it was very clear that they didn't have anyone who spoke Spanish in the room because, that person might have said, you know, in Spanish, that means doesn't go. Um, right. And they might have chosen, since it was going to be a global brand, to not use that name. Well, they might have chosen to do it, but at least they would have known. Right. Um, and that's, you know, to me, the reason that you want to have diverse voices in the room is not so you can check a box and, say, and feel good about your, um, you know, your, your ability to impact the, the social construct of our country. Um, but is, is cause there's value in having different voices. And this is, you know, going back to the, what we're talking about with 10 Xers, this is the openness to having opinions that differ from yours and the openness to getting the feedback that's different from yours. And that always makes the outcome stronger. Um, and sadly, you know, there's two challenges for companies. It's not just tech companies. You have to be able to recruit and find the right candidates. And that is not super easy. They are, there are lots of people out there, but I can tell you, like, there's just a lot more men that go into software engineering than women, at least historically. Gotcha. Um, may, maybe we're going to figure out ways to change that, but that's factual. Um, so there, there is, a, there is a problem. There is a pipeline problem. It is not, it's not an insurmountable problem. And there are people. Who are who are being marginalized in the process, but so there's getting them at the getting them at the table or getting them in the room, and then you got to get them at the actual table and give them a seat and a voice. And what I've heard from doing a few talks at conferences is some of these companies are very good at sort of hiring and 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 improving their numbers, but they don't create an environment where those the, the teams that those diverse candidates are on really have an equal voice. Um, and that's something that's really got to be looked at and continue to be worked on. And I just hope that everybody who's doing a good job hiring diverse candidates can take a moment from patting themselves on the back to looking at like, not just did we get them in the door, but did we, did we give them an opportunity to succeed and thrive? And more importantly, are we getting the benefits of their diverse perspective? For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that for sure. I want to ask you this really quickly because I know on your website, you know, there startup nation, there's a blog uh, on 10 X management.com. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access. If you listen to the replay on the podcast, if you want to check out the 10 X uh, management company on the website there, uh, you have a blog where you talk about HR people uh, and stuff like that. So I want to ask you this because I imagine that, you know, we talk about re- re- retaining talent, recruiting talent and things of that nature. How I mean, it just goes to show that the HR position at a company is just like super critical. Like, so I guess I'm curious, like, what does it take to have? I mean, not just hire great talent, but what's the the mindset of a great HR person to find that talent? Because I imagine that like because that's kind of like the gateway to, uh, you know, innovation, the gateway to great talent, the gateway to a lot of stuff. So kind of talk about that position in HR, if you don't mind. Um, 
it's really interesting. I just read this book called The Anatomy of Peace. Um, okay. It's not it's not relevant for this for for overall. It's not relevant to the topic. But the reason I'm bringing it up is. Mm-hmm. It gets into, it's a book about psychology. It gets into, you, you can view other people as objects or you can view them as people. Mm. And when you view them as objects, and by the way, we're all guilty of this. When I walk in to buy a coffee at Starbucks, there are days where I'm not seeing the, the barista as a human being. I'm seeing them as somebody who's going to make my coffee for me. And that's fair. all I want from them is my coffee. I think we all and do that a little yeah, bit. It's, yeah. it, every, everybody does that to a degree. Right. I think that the, the best HR people are the ones who stay very connected to seeing people as people. The way that we see this play out is, and look, I, I've never done that job of recruiting, and I don't, I don't, I'm not an expert at right. that part of the of the job. But Got what you. I hear from people on the other end is they're constantly getting approached by recruiters and HR people or internal recruiters who see one word on their LinkedIn and they're now trying to hire them for that work. So the example might be, right. I spent the weekend playing with Flutter. It's pretty cool. I like it. Mm-hmm. And literally that person is looking, the, the, the hiring manager is looking to hire somebody who does Flutter. So as a result of that person making that post, they came up in the search. The HR person didn't read it to see, they're not an expert in Flutter. They've just started playing with it. And then they, then, then the, the, the email they get is like, we, we hear you're a great Flutter developer. Would you like a job? <laughs> and all that person ends up feeling about, feeling about that company is you guys are idiots. Like you didn't even take the time to look at what I wrote. You right. just, you know, sent that to everybody who came up in the search. Um, and I think when the, the people who are best with their jobs, you know, need to remember that HR, the H is for humans. Like th- this is super important. Big facts. Um, and, and, you know, to, to sort of flip it around, I also don't think HR is usually um, super responsible for or super con- in control of retention. Um, the, the, I think that the way that they are involved in retention is, structure, is bringing in the right people, setting the right expectations, and structuring uh, a, a compensation package and a deal that really meets the needs of both the company and the individual. Right. And they have to, they have to really see that balancing both. And, you know, sometimes that's paying a little bit more, but you know what it costs when a, when a position turns over in a company, the cost is massive. So if you pay somebody a little bit more to keep them happy right. and they don't leave, you're net positive as a company. And that gets forgotten. Right. I think we get so caught up in uh, getting somebody new, getting somebody fresh. Like we, we we fall into this trap a lot of times and not just in, you know, hiring talent, but also like, you know, in trying to, you know, create products in a company and trying to get the new widget to, to boost our, you know, and scale the company and stuff like that. We we fall into the trap of new. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. And like you said, you know, with the uh, Starbucks barista uh, example, we do kind of often things get so automated and so routine. We don't see the humanistic part of a, a, a company, a position and stuff like that. So I appreciate you sharing all that, Michael. Yeah. And that's, I think that is so much what, what creates retention. I mean, uh, for, for better or worse, uh, I don't know whether our, our employees at any given moment feel like we're a generous employer or not a generous employer. I, I, I would be very surprised if we have any employees who couldn't look somebody in the eye and say, my employers are far from perfect, but I know they care about us as humans. Right. And they care about our lives. 
they want to accommodate our lives when our lives get bumpy and like just and that's that's just about being a good human i mean yes maybe that's my definition of being a good employer but let's start with like just being a good human right. and if a company makes you know slightly first of all i don't believe a company will like make less money doing that i think they'll make more money right because you get committed people we all have we all have worked with people in our lives where i use the expression this is sort of the way i would say it that i would follow them into battle like i would follow them to the end of the earth because they've just been such good leaders um and that's that's what you want to be as an employer that creates retention loyalty people employees who go the extra mile once again startup nation we're actually wrapping up with michael solomon the co-author of Game Changer, how to be 10x in the talent economy. I want to go back really quickly, man. Uh, kind of tell me about, you know, uh, rocking with Springsteen, the boss, a little bit, man. Kind of tell me about that experience a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. I mean, as I was saying, like he and his managers, and we we actually interview um, two of both of his managers in, in the book, um, are 10xers. These were the first 10xers. We didn't have the word yet. We didn't know that word yet. But these were the these were the people that we met who were just so above and beyond other people who do what they do. Um, and Bruce is is that. I mean, and it's not just the songwriting and the guitar playing and the performing. Right. It's the human being. Absolutely. It's the guy who cares. It's the guy who you know jumps into politics even when he doesn't want to jump into politics because he sometimes feels like he has to. It's the guy who I've seen you know, get off the stage in front of 60,000 people and say all of the perfect words to that audience so that each audience member felt like he was speaking to them and then go to a little label party dinner, you know, at three o'clock in the morning with, you know, 12 of us in the room and make a toast to thank the people that are working on his behalf with, with this same elegance and, and customization and, and, and just beauty um, in his language to make people feel appreciated. Um, and then his managers are, you know, every bit the same and how, and how they run their business and their team, his team. Um, and it's, it's just, it's a beautiful thing to see. Um, it's not something you just sort of can peer in and get a glimpse of to, and understand it. It's, you get, you get elements of that, but what you, when you really get to see behind the curtain and live behind the curtain, which I did for, um, a couple of years, it, it was, uh, magical. And empowering. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, Mike, let me ask you this, man. What's your entrepreneurial superpower and why? Oh, I think it's changed over the years. Okay. Um, I think I think now, um, and it's not purely entrepreneurial, but I think it's just seeing opportunities everywhere I look. And I hear that. that's always been there for me. You know, when people talk about entrepreneurs being being made versus being born. I feel like from a very young age, I just saw the world as businesses and as opportunities. And I continue, you know, with COVID, I just started looking around and seeing like all the things that could be done to improve things and make money and, um, and, and, and help people and, and find opportunities. And I, and I feel like that's probably the superpower and, and the super weakness that goes with my superpower. And that was only offset by having the business partner that I did mm-hmm. is I have a lot of those ideas. Fair and enough. If you don't, if you don't have somebody trusted who can give you that feedback and help you filter, I would be chasing myself down a lot of rabbit holes. 
For sure. For sure. You know, real quick, man, you know, talk about that relationship. Talk about that relationship with you and Rashawn a little bit, you know, and how you guys work as business partners. Sure. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty funny. We, we met in third grade and have been okay. essentially best friends con- consistently since we were eight years old. Gotcha. Um, so that's, you know, o- over, over 40 years at this point. Um, we, you know, I, I'd say we fight like brothers and we fight a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have very different perspectives on the world. Um, he, he, you know, I don't think he loves brainstorming the way that I love brainstorming. Gotcha. Um, and, and, and and we complement each other really, really well. Um, that doesn't mean that it's always easy, but you know, I have my I have my twentieth wedding anniversary um, this this past uh, month, and you know, relationships take work, and anybody who's in one either knows that or, or frankly, isn't doing it right. right. Um, or maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe it should be easier than this. But I, I would say, you know, he's he's also been married for you know probably twenty five years. Um, and then we we started this company, our first company together, um, 25 years ago. And that was far from our first entrepreneurial endeavor. I mean, in high school, we were we did a t-shirt business, we did keg parties, where which was not super legal. Um, we did a fake <laughs> ID business, which was definitely not legal. Gotcha. Um, although we did misspell the word license inadvertently, which made it a lot more Fair defensible. <laughs> right. um, yeah. No, we were not always the, the, the geniuses that, that we like to think we are. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it takes work and it takes commitment. And one of the best things that we've done, even though, you know, we've sort of got all this experience, and this is, this is really important, and it's very much about, you know, drinking your own Kool-Aid, is... Mm-hmm. In the last few years, we got an advisor for our company, even though we don't have an advisory board. We just got one advisor who we met and we love and who helps us navigate and gives us the feedback about our blind spots and helps us see around the corners, which is the same thing that we do for our clients. Gotcha. But you still need that third-party point of view to be able to see some of these things. And you know, when we talk about seeing around the corners, we call that future vision, like, there's there's times he's like um you realize that this is about to happen we're like huh hadn't really thought that that was about to happen or you realize the result of you know something you're doing is going to have an an unintended consequence it's just no matter how good you are no matter how smart you are you can't see everything because you're seeing it through your eyes and other people have different perspectives for sure so um it's it's an amazing partnership you know we one company's 25 years old, one company's eight years old, one company's two years old. And we continue to figure out how to make it work, even when it's not easy. And Startup Nation, if you want to check out that that amazing cohesiveness Michael and Rashawn have, make sure you check out the 10X Game Changer podcast. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. Also, make sure you go to 10xmanagement.com to check out the website. And also, make sure you purchase... Uh, Game Changer, how to be 10x in the talent economy. We have all those links there in the show notes if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. So, Michael, one last question, man. I'm actually just going to turn the microphone over to you because given everything going on, there's a lot of uh, people kind of feeling down, feeling discouraged. Kind of take us out with some words of encouragement, if you don't mind, good sir. Um, They're not my words, but this too shall pass. Fair enough. Is the thing that comes to mind. you know, I'm feeling very blessed and lucky in my own life and situation. Our businesses definitely have been impacted, but 
We haven't had to lose anyone. We're still paying our bills personally, professionally, and I feel very fortunate about that. So I don't want to sit too too much, stand too much on a soapbox when I'm not I'm not in the thick of it with people who are really struggling. But um, the the, be- the best thing I can say is you're not alone. No one's alone. And if you feel like you're alone, connect with people because we're all in this together. And everybody everybody is feeling. Um, unsure and worried and the, the best thing you can do is when you're in that situation do it with other people for sure awesome stuff and that's going to wrap up this session of the startup life we want to thank michael solomon for coming on the show thank you so much my man it was a pleasure thank you so much for having me and i hope i get to do this again with you at some point in the not the distant future I, 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 that might mean i need to write down the book we'll figure that out sounds great and as always startup nation if you have an idea be about that life the startup life if you want to let us know what you think about our show have an idea for a show topic or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.